I I kind of glanced at the email. We are do people in New Zealand like us? Apparently, did you see that? And that's not the only place we heard from from afar. Oh, okay. we heard from afar from somebody on Twitter as well. All right. All right. So yeah, we've got a get somebody give us some international flight tickets and some tickets <laughs> over here. Okay. Um, bu- 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 I think I'll start here. Did you see Striking Vipers? Did you watch Striking Vipers? Striking Vipers? Well, I mean, I guess you've been busy. The, the Black Mirror? Bruh. No, I have not watched Black Mirror yet. Is that the one? With Anthony Mackie. Anthony Mackie yeah, and... Old boy, Black Panther. I mean, right. Black Manta. Black Manta, yeah. right. Uh, uh, Yaya yeah, sure. Abdul-Mateen. Yeah, okay. <laughs> In the Cold Bahari. Yes, the Cold Bahari. Um, doing some... Doing good stuff mm-hmm. since Sleepy Hollow. Yeah. Um, I saw a little piece of that because I think from what I could tell, the two dudes have kind of like this virtual relationship. You got to watch it. I got to watch it. Although even without watching it, this has been my favorite thing. It's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Nobody has touched me since you have pales in comparison. (laughs) Uh, the polar bear and I still couldn't get you out of my mind. Mm. <laughs> hey, welcome to the Michelle Mission. Two men, one podcast. Every black I didn't know we were going. I know we were up. We were just talking about fucking polar bears. I know we were starting. Needed a transition. <laughs> we should have talked about the Molly Cyrus one for a couple of minutes. Black Mirror, season five. <laughs> available on Netflix. I was say, you go right from striking vipers <laughs> to now you won't tape a show. Welcome to the Michelle Mission, Two Men, One Podcast, Every Black Film Ever Made. My name is Len, a.k.a. The Bat Tribble. And as always, I'm joined by my partner. Hey, this is Vincent Williams. Tonight, we are kicking off a celebration of Black Music Month, and we are doing it with a certifiable classic of hip-hop culture. It is 1984's Beat Street, starring Guy Davis, Ray Dawn Chung, produced by Harry Balafonte, directed by Stan Lathan. yes. And Vince's selection yes. for this stop on the Me Show mission. But before we begin, I want to first um, apologize and thank each and every one of you missionaries and um, tribbles out there um, who sent your condolences to me. Those who do not know, we did not do a show last week. And that is because actually on the day of our recording, um my brother-in-law, uh, Gary Robinson, uh, very unexpectedly passed away. Yeah. Uh, um, so that's something that I've been dealing with and, you know, uh, with, with my sister, my older sister. Um, and, you know, as some of you may know, I fairly recently lost lost my mother. So this is like, wow. 
you know, yet again, we uh, the machines begins anew, um, and we're still dealing with that. So it's a, it's a little rough time around the web household, but we appreciate all of your kind thoughts, condolences, and prayers. And uh, I want to thank each and every one of you, including you. Oh, Vince, of course. Who checked up on me and the family more than a couple of times. So I really appreciate it. That Absolutely. Dude. Love you, dog. Yeah. All right. On to the show. Yeah. Last time we were together, we yes. reviewed Carmen, a hip hopera. Yes. From 2001. And as always, we invited people to leave their comments. And boy, the missionaries <laughs> did not let us down. My um cousin actually came to Philly for the Roots picnic. Oh, really? Yeah, my, my my little cousin. She's like almost 30. But she yelled at me for like an hour. Why? About Carmen. Really? Yeah. <laughs> she did not appreciate your take? For the record, she did not say that my critique was inaccurate. Ah. She just didn't like it. She just didn't like it. Right. Coming at the beehive. Yes. Like that. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Lennon Tulsa hit us up. Hey, what's up, Lynn? Um, This is this is the dated Black Tribbles reference he, he starts off with. Hard to believe Beyonce wasn't cast as Wonder Woman, right, Len? <laughs> okay. Ah. This, this, this needs to be d- explained. Before they had actually cast the Wonder Woman movie. Okay. There was the talk, always the talk of, of a Wonder Woman movie. Yes. Happening. And this probably dates back to about the second or third year of Black Tribbles, which means it's around 2000. 12, 13. Okay. That we had a conversation on the show where we we uh, proposed casting movies that we hope to see. Because at that time, that time there was no Justice League movie. There right. was none anything. And they were having trouble doing a Wonder Woman movie. And I suggested okay. that if they wanted to get a Wonder Woman movie made, they'd be daring and cast Beyonce okay. as Wonder Woman. Okay. One, because at that point, she wasn't far removed from um, the Austin Powers movie, mm-hmm. remember, mm-hmm. which I thought she was okay in. Oh, oh okay, sure. And <laughs> I knew that... That's your hill. Beyonce would put butts in the seats. Yes. You know, it would be controversial, but it would put butts in the seat. Right. So I dare suggested at that time, let's cast her as... Wonder Woman. Right, right. And and frankly, you probably weren't the only one sitting in a room fluting that idea. No, I was. Uh, oh, no. I bet my left oh, arm that there were execs at Warner Brothers. Oh, maybe po- thinking about that. Thinking oh, we should yes. cast Beyonce. Yes. There's in, no question in my mind. In that room full of tribbles, I was the only one. Oh, well, I mean. Well, in in yeah. fact, when I when I mentioned it, uh, the Lady Tribble Kennedy uh, classically walked out of the studio. Mm. So she was not feeling it. But that's, so that's, 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 that's what Lennon yes. is referring to. Yes. He continues. Okay. Mackay Pfeiffer would make an excellent addition to the Black Panther MCU. Okay. Ever heard of Moses Magnum? Absolutely. Remember Mackay's appearance in Homicide Life on the Streets when he played a psychopathic son of a drug queen pen? I actually do remember that. I kind of loosely remember yeah, that. Yeah, I remember that. But I could see, I could definitely yeah, see absolutely. Uh, Pfeiffer uh, in a Marvel movie. Dan Dinkins, what's up, Dan? I thoroughly enjoyed the stalling to get to the main topic <laughs> of this episode. Lynn trolled me. To which George Carmona, um 
piped in. One hour, a new stalling record. <sighs> yeah, we're not going to go that long <laughs> with, with Beat Street. My connection to this was the woman I was living with at the time wanted to watch it. 10 to 15 minutes in, I walked out. Needless to say, she is not the woman I married. (laughs) I can see how that'd be a deal breaker. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Robert Monroe wrote, I know this might uh, put my black card in jeopardy, but I really don't know Beyonce's music because I don't listen to contemporary pop music. I say, that's not your black card. That's your old man card you're playing. Yes. I know what she looks like, and that's about it. My only knowledge of her and many pop singers is through mashups. One of my favorites is If I Were a Free Falling Boy, a mashup between Beyonce and Tom Petty. <laughs> that sounds very not interesting, actually. But... <laughs> There you go. Um, We also, Vince, I want to let you know that we heard from two of our two two of our celebrity fans. Oh, nice! We heard from Omar Dorsey. What's up, Omar? I hope all is well. I'm catching up to the whole Mother May I canon (laughs) on this long ass flight. And I'm listening to the Steel episode now, and y'all talking about Simone's new show. Yes. Simone is the star of the show. She's number one on the call sheet. That's all right. And by the way, I love the hate-watching episodes. <laughs> uh, and Dorian also chiped in. Wait, wait, because we got to stay on Omar for a second. I'm not sure when he'll hear this or oh, not, because I mentioned it. Look, man. Oh, Queen Sugar. Dog, y'all are killing me. Like, y'all are actually killing me. Did the new season already start? I think the the new season either comes on tonight or tomorrow. It's this week. Okay. Nova has written a book, apparently, and it's it's got the the family secrets and okay. Omar, I, I I really need you to ask. I need you to ask Ava DuVernay, Ms. DuVernay, because yes. I don't know her. No, you don't. Ms. DuVernay. Can can we get like, can I get like three episodes where, where y'all like just have a picnic? <laughs> can we just get three Disney episodes? Like just three episodes. Yeah, she, she got Disney money now. So she could. Th- Here you go. Here you go. Because look, I'll hold it all together. Remember the scene in Daughters of the Dust? Okay. Because see, now I've pulled Julie Dash in. Okay. Where they have the meal on the beach. Yes. And the wonderful, we talked, the the clinking and Omar, can you ask that you all have three episodes just like that, just like that scene on the beach? (laughs) Oh, man. Good to hear from you, brother. Looking forward to the new season, but... Oh Lord, y'all, y'all are hard on my heart. <laughs> it, I just want everybody to be happy. I just want everybody to be happy. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Omar. Dorian also chimed in. What's up, Dorian? That he's listening to the podcast out of out of order. Just heard Steel. 
Simone is most definitely the lead of that show. All She's right. the alley to their version of Ally McBeal. That's no all right. question about it. And Vince would be happy to know, okay, as a fan of Counterpart, yes, that the lead of Dorian's new show is Nicholas Pinnock, a former cast member yes. of Counterpart. Very nice. Oh, look at that. Two great tastes that taste that great together. That taste great together. Oh, sucky now. Well, I'm all over both of them. So. There you go. Happy for all involved. Happy to these wonderful working actors. Happy to hear from friends. Look for Simone Missick starring in All Rise, a new CBS series. And Dorian Missick as one of the cast of the ABC series for life, both premiering this fall television season. Justice hit us up on Twitter. What's up, Justice? At just uh, underscore Ife. Uh, Michelle Mission, I'm listening to the Carmen episode. Time check the 55th minute. <laughs> I gave up, started ball laughing here in Trader Joe's. <laughs> Please never stop making this show. <laughs> We're going to do our best. <laughs> we, will, we will try. Um, we also heard from Simon Pinon. Hey, Simon. At Simon Pinon on Twitter. Hello from Down Under. Oh. Me downloading the episode. Uh, colon. Oh, I love Carmen. I wonder how this adaptation turned out. <laughs> me a minute in oh right we're not done with mother may i have another <laughs> thanks for keeping me company on my travels oh <laughs> you're welcome simon <laughs> that's crazy right we take the hits for y'all nina hit us up on twitter hey what's up nina at perry brown i'm so glad i finally found the podcast that i've been missing have y'all done blues brothers yet Oh. Well, it's not come up. And I'm going to go out on a limb, Vince, that you would not consider that a black I film. I would not consider that a black and film. I would not consider it a black film. No. However, if a guest were to come on the show right. and they were to consider it a black film, sure. we would review it and argue the point. And certainly you could read it black. Like, it's not a black film, but you could certainly talk about the Blues Brothers oh, from yeah. a black perspective. Oh, yeah. And there's a lot to pull. Right. From a there. lot to talk. Like, that would actually be a really interesting conversation. It would be, actually. Yeah. You're right. Um, we also heard from the Home Dad Abroad. Yes. Send yes. us an email. Hello, Home Dad Abroad. And his subject line is he was wearing a Camry, a Camry, not even a compact. <laughs> In your mission stop at the pinnacle of Shaquille O'Neal's trilogy of cinematic failure, Steel, <laughs> you both thankfully diverged into other topics of greater interest to yourselves <laughs> and undoubtedly everyone else. Yeah, that's what we do. However, However, I must admit, Shaq exudes charm in person, but the camera certainly doesn't like him. Okay. Now then, in joining your old man geekery. All right. I must agree with Vince that The Incredible Hulk was a good show. Yeah, a oh yeah. A solidly good show. 
However, okay. I must also agree with Len because Kenneth Johnson, the director of Steel and creator of the Incredible Hulk show, yes, was simply reinventing the wheel okay. by adapting the man on the run anthology genre with different window dressings. True. He was aided by the get of Bill Bixby, a better actor than normally found in the lead of these types of series as evidenced by Kung Fu's David Carradine. Oh, look, I emboldened and even italicized David. Hmm. Why would I do that? Yep. Yet another correction coming your way, gentlemen. Oh boy. Here we go. As you chatted, you repeatedly swapped David's name for his younger brother, Keith. Obviously, ah. they are different people, but it is also understandable to confuse them despite a more than 13-year gap in their ages. <laughs> the easy mnemonic, uh, mnemonic for keeping them straight follows. Caradine Boyne Keith was in Nashville and Deadwood. He won both an Oscar and a Golden Globe. Caradine Boy David plays a Chinese man good, then auto-erotically asphyxiated to death. <laughs> I'm not sure how that works as a mnemonic. Like, that doesn't rhyme at all. <laughs> but it is funny. <laughs> See? Easy. There you <laughs> Fair the home, point. The home dad abroad. Fair point, home dad abroad. P.S. And please, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, Louise Lasser should never have been a face on TV or cinema, as any modern producer will agree, which is why we need more Louise Lassers on the screens. She was ugly, no Ooh, argument. Easy, <laughs> easy. Nobody here used the U word. But she was... <laughs> Whoa. I called that woman ugly. He can say these things because he's the home dad. Right, abroad. right. Okay, we're quoting a letter, folks. She was ugly, no argument. <laughs> but she... I didn't have to repeat that. No, you did. But, but I continue. She was ugly, no argument. You but she... just gonna keep saying it. But she was also exquisitely and painfully funny. Yes, and was giving flavor to increasingly bland in the realm of film entertainment. Regular looking folk make things interesting and memorable. If you look back on the studio system days of Hollywood, many of the biggest stars were unique in appearance. Bogart, Spencer Tracy, James Cagney, Edward G. Robinson. True, true, um, true. Rooney. Hell, even Betty Davis. Not traditionally good looking people, but memorable. Everyone on screen is pretty now, or manipulated to be prettier. Yeah. It creates unrealistic expectations for the rest of us Uggos. Yeah. Of course, sometimes you do get a weird one that slips into stardom, but most people don't realize that it happens because there are some faces that the camera genuinely love. I know it sounds like just an expression or a cliche, but it's true. I sat in a room for eight hours with a particular woman who once played the Tomb Raider, then oh. married Brad Pitt for a time. Oh. Not to disparage her simply on looks as she is a good actor, but in person, she was physically creepy and ugly. Oh, Her features that just didn't again. come together right. <laughs> but when I found my gaze down to the live stream monitor at my feet, stunningly gorgeous. Interesting. It was weird. 
And I have no idea why I related the story to you except to tie back into that bit about Shaq about seven feet up from this line. <laughs> On second thought, I was just thrilled that someone else remembered Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. <laughs> the home dad abroad. <laughs> you know, James Baldwin actually has this great sequence in, in his book of essays on film, mm -hmm. uh, The Devil Looks for Work, where he talks about the fact that Betty Davis meant a lot to him because his father, his being James, Bal James Baldwin's father, used to say that James Baldwin was ugly mm -hmm. because he had those these huge eyes. Right. And, you know, and, and Baldwin said part of the reason that his father would say that to him was because Baldwin looked like his mother. So this was his father kind of, you know, insulting his mother. But James Baldwin said that my mother had eyes like Betty Davis and everyone loved Betty Davis. Yeah. And I thought Betty Davis was beautiful. Like I thought my mother was beautiful mm -hmm. and it's just this wonderful acknowledgement of what the home dad abroad is saying that, exactly. that this sort of picture perfect image of a star is fairly recent. Mm -hmm. So because, you, again, someone like Betty Davis or, you know, the people he named, these were not traditionally good looking people. Yeah. But they were stars and and they looked good mm -hmm. on the screen. So I appreciate that. Most definitely. Plus, we got to talk about Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman again. Which made your day. Which made my day. We got an email from Richard Scott. Hi, Richard. Greetings from New Zealand. Nice. Oh, boy. Hello there from Radio New Zealand, where I produce a weekly best of podcast show nice. called The Podcast Hour All right. for New Zealand's public radio broadcaster. You have fans here in NZ. Nice. A letter a listener wrote into me last week recommending your show. I was hoping I could listen to some with a view to including it on the show. The listener recommended your Beale Street episode, and I wondered oh, if I like you should could like suggest two or three other eps that you think captured the show at its best so that I can listen in, please. Thanks is that, a is lot. that your New Zealand? You New know, Zealand? I don't know why. It's like you started and then it was like, well, I've started, now I have to commit I to have it. To, I'm committed. <laughs> That's the actor in me. I committed. I realize I don't know anyone from New Zealand. So, so I don't know if they have accents. Or, you, okay. Now we just found out we had missionaries in New Zealand. Don't, right <laughs> don't don't insult them. I'm not insulting. Okay, because I, I, I actually I don't know why I, I, I don't know. You just <laughs> well, thank you, thank you, whoever Richard Scott. Thank you, Richard Scott. Thank you from the podcast hour. Thank you, uh, missionaries from New Zealand. I guess we have to figure out what to tell them. We do. We have to figure out what episodes to tell them. Now, okay. um, Jeff, our our good friend at Podglomerate. Hey, Jeff. He mentioned that he really liked. Um, our episode on The Wiz. Okay. He thought there might be something to okay. pull from there. There was it was a bunch of us on. Did, would, would we send him something with guest? Yes. Yeah, now I I ran this by uh, my lady love. All right. And she suggested, well, you've got to only send one that just has you and Vince. Okay. All right. Which I, and that's I, why she's your lady love because she got it right. That's right. Um. 
I don't know. I don't know. You always reference. There's a show. Which show did you always say that you really like? The Learning Tree. No, not the Learning Tree. Wasn't the, my the, joint is nothing like a man. Oh, nothing like a man. Yeah, okay. that's that's nothing like a man is my go-to. Okay. Yeah, whenever we you know if I, we had to fill out a form or something, like I go. Yeah, to me that's that's my go-to. Okay, nothing but a man. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a good one. Yeah. Um. So and he he suggests like two or three. So if we right. take the whiz, um, we, we just talked about. It. I actually really enjoyed Daughters of the Dust, too. Okay, that was yeah. that one. I, I don't try to. I have to listen to that one again. Yeah. All right. So th- there you go. So we'll use the whiz, Beale Street, and Daughters from the Dust. Well, I'll pull something from. Right. Uh, well, maybe which way is up. Lighten it up a little bit. Yeah, but that was so early in... Which way is up? Wasn't that early? Oh, I'm thinking about... Um, you think about Uptown, Uptown Saturday, Saturday Night. Night. Yeah, which is like our very first episode. You don't want to send... You, you, you don't want to send them Carmen? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the bit... The bit with us singing Jodeci is worth the price of admission. As you were saying, you were saying you were in the Black Sonian the other day. That's what's going to go into the African American Museum of Art one day. Like when it has our exhibit, the Michaud Mission, and then like it'll be like the little interactive joint where you press it, and it'll just be me and you yelling Jodeci. <laughs> oh God, I hope that's not in our exhibit. <laughs> Like hapless intern who's listening to this in 2070, please don't put that in in the exhibit. It's like some kid who's like in his first year of grad school going through the archives in the basement. Every other tape disintegrated except this one. <laughs> except for this one. Oh, boy. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you know what will happen? It won't be, it won't be like the Michelle mission in the archives. So in 2017, some random intern will have heard of this, this great star of the past named Beyonce. <laughs> It will be a footnote. <laughs> will be a footnote. So here's my footnote story. Oh boy. You know when I went to grad school, like my my work is on Octavia Butler. Yes. Like I actually wrote my dissertation on Octavia Butler. Well, Octavia Butler came and visited Temple. Mm-hmm. This is obviously before she passed. And everyone in my department knew that that this was my subject. So I got to be her, basically her body man that day. Like I drove her around and then, you know, I remember we went to the mall. She had to get some gloves and sat in the other. And the one thing that I said that really made Octavia Butler laugh, we were driving and I said, I have to be careful. Like, like I, you know, obviously I don't, I don't want to get into a, a car crash. I mean, you know, you're Octavia Butler. I don't want to do anything that would right. affect you. I said, but also... If heaven forbid something happened, like it, all the headlines would say Octavia Butler, it dies in a freak accident. And then like the fifth paragraph, it'll say unnamed graduate student also died. Yes. She thought that was really funny. <laughs> and I've always treasured that, that I made Octavia Butler laugh. So that's my unnamed intern slash graduate student story. 
Well, that's true. And it, 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 <laughs> that's true. If you'd have crashed, no, he wouldn't have put you in the paper. No. Yeah. Not at all. Not at all. So, not at all. Vince. So, let's hear it for the unnamed graduate students. Yes. Okay. So, uh, um, we didn't record a show last week, but no. Steve Tozen. Hey, what's up, Steve? Took it upon himself to ask a question out to the missionary. So, I'll ask you. And these we appreciated questions. that. We appreciate it, uh, Steve. Appreciate everybody actually kind of stepping in into the breach. And entertaining themselves. Yeah. Or, you know, again, just sort of keeping the momentum. Like, it really is a beautiful thing. So he asked three questions. Okay. So the first question to you, Vince. If you had the chance to be on the set for one movie that we have reviewed. Okay. What would it be? Oh. Oh, that's easy. I would have loved to have been on the set of um, Harlem Nights. Just ha- on, Harlem Nights? Yeah, just on the set. Okay, yeah. Oh, I absolutely. I would have killed to have been on the set of Harlem Nights. Oh, okay. You know, like, that's a film, and I think we may have talked about it. There's no question in my mind that between takes... They were having a good time. ...was infinitely... More entertaining <laughs> than anything they hit the than the movie itself, right? Which you know, I I thought I, you know I don't think it's a bad movie. I think it's a mixed bag. Mm-hmm. But between between takes, oh my goodness! Yeah, you know, sitting there just shooting the the gift with um, who was it? Eddie Eddie Murphy, Richard Pryor, yes, Red Fox, yes, Della Reese. Yeah. Yeah. Uncle Uncle Ray was there. Uh, uh Charlie Murphy is there. Arsenio. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh my goodness. Tommy. Right, right. I would have Miguel Nunez. Like oh, I would have yeah. loved oh, right. yeah. to have just been on that set. Yeah. So that's my choice. Another one like that would have been uh Life. I, I was I thought I I like I stuttered cuz I was trying to think did I want Life for Harlem Nights. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um I think if I the first one that comes to my mind and I don't know if I would totally set on this, but the first one that comes to my mind actually would be The Wiz. Oh, that's probably a good set, too. D- just to, like, to, to see, like, how it is all coming together. Yeah. And 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 especially, with all due respect, you know, I, I'm not a fan of the film. Right. But I would imagine seeing it in production would have made me... I, I can see it being very grand. Yeah. You know, and to be up close with Mabel King. Yeah. You know, and, and actually feel her power right there on the set. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, I, I, I would have I would have chose this. It's funny the you Wiz. should pick the Wiz. Can I tell you a secret? Your largest presence in my day-to-day life, at least once a week, my wife or my daughter imitate you <laughs> making fun of Diana Ross. <laughs> When we all saw, remember we all saw the Wiz together yes. at the outside, and they make fun of you going Toto, oh Toto, <laughs> and the both of them giggle like little girls talking about you making fun of Diana Ross in the Wiz. That cracked them up. <laughs> that was fun. Like just periodically, my daughter will go Oh Toto, and then she'll just start laughing. <laughs> Mr. Lynn is hilarious. That was a fun night. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what was the first black movie you remember watching? 
probably Uptown Saturday Night mm. is the first one I remember. Mm-hmm. Probably Uptown Saturday Night. See, I was going to go Uptown Saturday Night, but the one that stands in my mind, and I'm pretty sure I saw this in the movie theaters. I don't know if it was like first run, but definitely like it was like if it was, it was like later run or whatever. Was uh, Cooley High? Okay. All right, that's a yeah. good one. And and I remember watching that and like that being the first movie that almost made me cry. And yeah. I didn't cry, but it almost made it's, me cry. I mean, it's tough. Yeah, man. It's yeah, tough. Man. It, I, it, I remember watching that movie. Um, and you know what happens to Cochise, and I don't want to give spoilers for the eighty-year-old movie. Um, How do I? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I remember watching that movie and being fairly young when I watched it because right. I think it was one day where I was in the movies and it was like a whole bunch of movies were playing so Cooley High came on right 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 and I went home and I walked up the steps to my house and my brother was in his room and my brother was probably about Cochise's age in the movie okay at this time there's seven years between me and my, my older brother and I stood at the top of the steps and I was just looking at my brother. Oh. And like he didn't feel me looking at him for a minute. And then he felt me looking at him, like made a face and closed the door. Like, you know, stop looking at me. Right. And you weirdo. Right. Um, now mind you, I was actually coming up to go into the room because we shared a room. <laughs> and when he closed the door, I just sat down on the steps. It's like, well, I'll wait for him to come Aww. out. But I was just happy to see that he was alive because yeah, he was my well, cochise. Well, yes, <laughs> you know? He hadn't gotten into a fight in the alley and hit his head. I know. I know. Oh, my God. Didn't the one dude went to jail, but then the other dude went to the army. I know. I know. I know. And the implication was had a full life. Was it, though? Because wasn't that around... I mean, they Vietnam. said he went in the army and became an army sergeant. Okay. Well, I mean, they well, didn't say he true. died in Vietnam. Well, that's true. They just say he went to the army. That's true. Good point. Other dude went to jail, though. Yes. Uh, last question. Okay. How much money okay. do you think would be needed to create a true all-black slash POC slash sex positive Oh movie studio a movie studio movie studio I mean, I mean i mean technically tyler perry has a movie I was studio about to say yeah i, I mean I, th- I think the the question like that is like the very is is like the first part of the question it's not even so so it, it's it's not how much money would it take to create it as much as it is what type of circumstances and climate would be involved for it to prosper and -hmm. continue. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, I think the climate is there now. I mean, well, like I said, Tyler Perry has a movie. Right. Tyler Perry has, he's prospering. Yeah. So it can be done. So like, I would think, and maybe you can help me with this. Like, like almost, Everything he just said, black person of color, sex positive version of Bloomhouse. Right. Where you would make 
almost art house films with a popular appeal. Well, Bloomhouse doesn't make art house films. I said almost. I mean, you think about they don't make almost. They make mostly horror movies. Yeah, but you think about us. You think about um horror movie. No, no, no. It is a horror movie. I think. I think oh, well, you right. would think Annapurna. Annapurna, which your face tells me. Right. You know, maybe no, no, no. I do remember. I think. I, okay. I think the problem with talking about horror movies is you almost have to specify what you mean by a horror movie. I, I think I see what you're saying. Like traditionally horror movies have been films that you can read seriously mm-hmm. if you want it to. Mm-hmm. But then the 80s almost kind of dragged they the, did drag the genre down to yes. the mud. Yes. And now we have like this new wave that harkens back mm-hmm. to the 70s and 60s. So, yes, they're horror movies, but there is a level of art house appeal. Like, I think people who go to see um, Get Out or or or, or, or Us mm-hmm. or um, I just forgot. Well, the, sorry to bother you. Is that Bloomhouse? Well, it's not even Bloomhouse now. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of because you were right, you know, or, or the new um, Halloween Okay, yeah. I think these are films that people who aren't horror fans mm-hmm. see. Okay. Because there's something else going on. Okay. Besides that. And I think if you had this version of a studio like Steve is talking about, mm-hmm. that's the kind of approach I'd take. All right. You know, keep costs low, but at the same time, have the slickness have have the the, the directorial and, and creator vision mm-hmm. that you can appeal to people outside of well I'm just you know I'm just going to see uh you know I don't know a, a, a movie with Nicaraguan Americans in it gotcha. gotcha so how much money would that be yeah I mean well it's hard to say how much money they need but I think the movies themselves, for it to prosper couldn't cost any more than 15 20 million dollars. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I think. You got to keep it lean. Got to keep you got to keep it lean, gotta real lean. Keep it lean. I mean, every once in a while you shoot the moon. Mhm. You know what I mean? Like because I honestly think and this necessarily wouldn't necessarily have to be a movie. I actually see this as a TV series. Like if TV1, BET and all these other like, you know, um, black uh, channelettes, right? Like, join together their money. There is a a, a black Game of Thrones ish tale to be made out of the story of the Moors conquering Italy. Yeah, sure. You know, I mean, and you could even like, you know. You know, fantasy it up a little bit if you want. Yeah, um, you don't have to, but maybe you just make it more palatable and and you know reaching reaching into other genres. But like there there is something really rich and meaty right there, just waiting to happen. But I know BET, TV One, uh, uh, these channels, none of them. Well, BET is not even um, like owned by themselves anymore. But I know most of th- those places don't have like the money to do it right. right. 
to, to give it the, the yeah. The so justice. you go to I think that's too big. Well, I'm saying like every right. once in a while you shoot the moon. Right. If you keep right. if you if you're making five twenty million dollar movies, they're making thirty forty million dollars each. Right. Then you know maybe your sixth film you shoot the moon and you go seventy eighty. Right. You know and and you know you see what right. happens. Right. But um, I think that's what would have to. Yeah. With that. Good question, Steve. Yeah, Steve. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, all right. All right. I think it's time, Vince. Excellent. Okay. All right. Um, let's get into Beat Street. We'll be back with the film review soon as we do something funky and have steps in it. Support Black Podcast. One reps for the old school and one reps for the down and dirty. Both of them are ladies that love hip-hop. Ladies love hip-hop. We're self-appointed hip-hop aficionadas. CJ and Summer Willow kick in the door, waving the full full, screaming, ladies love hip-hop too. God damn it. That's ladies love L-U-V hip-hop. Check them out on SoundCloud. Check them out where you find good podcasts. Like them on Instagram because these ladies are lovely and their hip-hop is deadly. Remember, support Black Podcasts. American drama dance film featuring New York City hip hop culture of the early 1980s, breakdancing, DJing, as well as graffiti art. Story centers around an aspiring DJ from the South Bronx and his best friend, a promoter, who tried to get into showbiz by exposing people to hip hop music and culture. Kenny Kirkland, played by Guy Davis is the budding disc jockey and master of ceremonies. He has a younger brother, Lee, 
um, B-boy Robert Taylor, who was a hardcore B-boy who dances with the Beat Street Breakers. Kenny's best friends are Ramon, played by John Chardee, a graffiti artist known by his tag, Ramo, and his self-styled manager slash promoter, Charlie, played by Leo W. Grant. <clears throat> Kenny also finds himself falling for a pretty college student um, and composer, Tracy, played by a very young Ray Dawn Chung. In this film, produced by David V. Picker and Harry Balafonte, directed by Stan Lathan and Vince's selection for this stop on the Michaud Mission. Vince, what say you of Beat Street during Black Music Month? Ah, Beat Street. It's like a heartbeat. It's like a heartbeat. It really is. I think I think there are two ways you have to talk about Beat Street. Mm-hmm. You know, the first way is the, sh- the shortest part of the conversation, frankly, because there's no room for debate or back and forth. And that is Beat Street as a cultural artifact of African-American culture, of American pop culture, of, of hip-hop culture. And this is a film that, while this isn't the first hip-hop film, because Breakin' came out, you know, we talked about this Golden Globus rush production yeah. of Breakin' mm-hmm. to get Breakin' out first. This is the film that that resonates and and remains, in my mind, the most important artifact from this period. When when I'm talking to young people and you know even you know I'm talking to my 14 year old who watched this with me about the origins of hip hop. Oh really? Okay. Because Beat Street does an amazing job of you know first of all capturing performances I, I mean it's 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 like like i'm gonna start naming people and i know i'm gonna forget people mm-hmm. melly mel africa bambada uh jazzy J, who was a dj for africa bambada but he gets an extended moment in here you you, you have dougie fresh mm-hmm. you, you have cool mo d you have i mean it's the system is in here you know brenda yes. k star it, it they're so uh the um the 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 Rocksteady crew. Yes. And the New York Breakers, the New York City Breakers. I mean, you know, including the legendary Crazy Legs. Yeah. Like just footage of Crazy Legs. So you just have this capturing of those performances and those personas. Cool Herc. Cool Herc looks like he's 20 years old in here. <laughs> how about that? Like it's amazing looking at how young all of these men and women were. Mm-hmm. I think it does an amazing job capturing the culture. You you know, there's 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 there there are really three three streams. Three narrative streams where you see the culture. Kenny's a DJ. Yes. So, you you know, as you say. Double K. Double K is a DJ. And and we see him mixing. And we see him sort of recording sounds. And, and, and you know, all of the things that go along with being a DJ. Ramo is a graffito. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, talk about this a little bit. This is a film that 
that sort of um the spit the the spit plot where spit is is a bad graffito who is not good at doing burners so he draws over everyone else this is lifted from star wars yes where there was an actual guy going around basically defacing mm-hmm. better writers so you have that aspect of it and i think ramo just everything about ramo where just the logistics of putting up burners and and the danger involved and 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 you know all of that is there and then you have um and i just forgot special k's little brother lee then you have lee who is our window into breakdancing you know yeah. hip hop dance and you know again it's the rock steady crew it's the new new york i mean these are actual breakdancers mm-hmm. So there's this authenticity through, again, what is captured here on film. The other thing that I love, 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 and and I love this the older I get and the more the business part of hip-hop comes to the foreground when we talk about hip-hop. 1985, the challenge of cultural appropriation is at the forefront of this story. Yeah. Yeah. This whole plot about Ray Don Chung's character basically bringing Lee in mm-hmm. to incorporate some of Lee's moves into her class project. And the whole way it plays out, and where you know you have this this wonderful little screed by Kenny where he says, you know, and he and you know, you just like all the other biters. You bite and then you leave the rest. Yeah. And this is a plot, you know, this is a through line through the film. So, you know, the Roxy and, and, and breakdancing and oh, like, yeah. like all of it, just as documentary footage, yep. I think B Street is invaluable. Yes. And again, that in my mind, that's not even up for debate. Right. What I found fascinating watching it for the Michelle mission was watching this as a movie. Mm-hmm. So, you know, trying, and, and obviously it's, it was amazingly difficult, and I don't know how well I was able to remove myself emotionally from it to just sort of, you know, cold eye and deliberate as we talk about watches as a film. And I think this is a film with solid bones. This is a film based on a story by, by um, Stephen Hager. Right. Who, you know, Stephen Hager took this. It was a five, six page treatment and he got the deal for the movie. And, and Stephen Hager is this legendary journalist and, you know, arguably one of the first hip hop journalists. Mm-hmm. And in fact, he used hip hop, the term hip hop for the first time in the Village Voice. And he did this story on hip hop. So he brought this story to the studios Initially, there was a director named Andrew Davis who was supposed to direct it. Right. And because of, as they say, quote, unquote, creative differences, mm. Stan Lathan comes in. Mm-hmm. Now, there's no real, you know, or at least none I could find, real you know, documentation about why Davis was out and Lathan was in. Although Stan Lathan did tell the New York Times in 1984 that there was some concern that all of 
the the artist involved wanted to be with some filmmakers that they were comfortable with. You know, right. the implication being that Stan Lathan is black and Andrew Davis is white. But again, this is all implication and which you kind of pull from 40 year old quotes and this that, and the other. But regardless, Stan Lathan is not the legendary figure that we talk about in 2019 in 1984. Not at all. Right. But he's a seasoned director. Mm-hmm. He's done a great deal of television. He's done a lot of film. And I think shot by shot, scene by scene, this is a film that is under the control of a confident hand. Mm. From the very beginning the very one of the i think the very first shot of the film when the credits go off you get these three quick shots you get lee messing with his fat shoelaces Shoelaces. yep you get kenny putting his records Mm -hmm. in his bag and you have ramo drawing in his notebook yes so that from the very beginning you get these touchstones yes of authenticity and of the aspects of hip hop that this film is going to talk about. And throughout this film, I think the the greatest compliment I can pay Stan Lathan's direction is that he gives you as a viewer this really controlled view of this culture Mm -hmm. so that you see why this culture would pull people in. You see... The, the 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 danger in this culture because you know remember this is 1984 yeah this is some outlaw shit in 1984 yeah um you know everyone talks about the scene at the Roxy which you know it's one of the greatest dance battles ever filmed yeah New York City Breakers versus Rocksteady Crew versus Rocksteady I've always been more fond of the battle in the subway. Yes. Where they're battling each other. And, you know, again, I watch this with my daughter. And, and at the end of the scene, they get arrested. And my daughter, who is, you know, a, a child of summer, you know, she's 14. <laughs> she's like, why are they arresting them? They were just dancing. Yeah. Not understanding that this was an outlaw culture. Yep. And what I love so much about that scene is that the way it's it's blocked and shot and set, it looks like. They could have been fighting. Because, right. Like, you understand how, if you're not familiar with hip-hop, and you see them. And the movement, the rhythm of and it. And it's aggressive. Yes. And, and is They're and up in each other's they're faces. They're up in each other's with faces. With hands waving. So, that's another really great visual moment. I, you know, I think, I think the scenes with Ramo and Spit. Like, I think the, the, the ongoing um, sound Oh. Of spit shaking the can. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's so creepy and yeah. so atmospheric. Yes. So that yes. even without everything that I just said about this being an invaluable cultural artifact, mm-hmm. well, and then there's the acting, which, you know, I have to say, th- there are no great actors in this film. No. You know, you and I have talked about Mary Alice. I'm more fond of Mary Alice than you are. I like her in this role because she has that kind of weariness. Like she has a son who has died already. Mm -hmm. And then she has these two other sons Mm -hmm. that she's really just trying to hold on to. Yeah. I liked her in this movie too. Guy Davis. Guy Davis is most famous for being Ozzie Davis in Ruby D's son. 
Well, he's an uh, accomplished musician. Right. And did you know about that before you did research on this film? No. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Guy Davis is most famous for being Ozzie Davis and Ruby D's son. And he's kind of awkward. Yeah. He's very awkward. But the thing is, I have to say, in my experience, a lot of DJs are awkward. Very much so. Which is why they became DJs. And which is why... Despite his awkwardness, it kind of rings true, his performance. Radon Chung has never been the greatest actress. No. But Radon Chung, as the clueless grad student who stumbles into this and doesn't understand the implications of what she's doing and brings Lee down there and then gets flustered and... I completely buy Radon Chung in this role. You do. You do. So that even when the acting is not that good, it works. It works. (laughs) It does. So that, you know, I think this is a really solid film as a film. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I I can't disagree with you. Um, If I was to... Okay. Like you said, the acting is what it is. Um, but to a degree, some of the awkwardness of the acting, um, despite some of the forced slang, like some of the guys, like the, the guy, Leon Grant, that plays his promoter, like <laughs> he quickly wore him, wore out his welcome with me. He's, I mean, that's promoters, though. <laughs> like yeah. that low-level promoter dude. Yeah, but I mean, he was just really getting on my freaking nerves. Okay. Um, but you know, he was whatever. Um, but the acting is not great in this movie. Yet and still, like you said, some of that awkwardness still makes it ring true. And I think also what helps ring true is that this film is firmly set not only in the culture of hip hop, but in arguably the birthplace right. of the culture of hip hop, the South Bronx. South South Bronx. And South 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 Bronx. And you feel it. You feel Bronx in this movie. <laughs> you know? So and, and and I think that helps with the authenticity of it. You know? Like when in that opening scene where, you know, you you meet the shoelaces the notebook with the graffiti stack, you know, collecting the records to roll out. I think it's cool that that is all in their room mm-hmm. and their room feels like a legitimate New York room. It doesn't feel like they, they stepped off the street of New York and now they're on a soundstage. No, they are actually in a apartment in New York. The lighting helped br- bring you right into that situation as well. Um, I also kind of liked, and even though when you do research on this, this kind of people think this maybe hurt the film, that the movie is set in the winter. Yeah. Because yeah. it's very often, especially in these in these early days of hip hop, and especially that this film does follow Breakin', which was a huge hit, and it should be told a bigger hit than this movie. Absolutely. Um, but Breakin' is set in sunny California. Right. You know? Even the movie that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, Rappin', is set in like a spring type of atmosphere. You know, the sun is out, from what I remember. Yeah. I, there was something about this being set 
in the winter, still in authentically in New York, in the South Bronx, that I liked, that kind of gave me the impression that, you know, hip hop is not just out in the parks. It's just mm-hmm. not out in, you know, when the sun is out. Hip hop is all year round, you know, because when it's not out in the parks, then we're going to find this little abandoned spot, you know, jewelry rig, some electricity, and we're going to keep this party going. Right. You know, they're hanging out the, the line out out the window to plug in. Into, look, I don't know about you, dog, but I've been there. <laughs> We've done it. I have not been there. I just read about it. Oh, dog. <laughs> it, it, it's real talk yeah real talk yo catch oh. yes cross the street dog so i i i love i love that aspect of it I, and mm-hmm. i love that the people like they were dressed for the weather they had on the coats yes you know you you felt they were in the winter you know even charlie my man with his big you know coat and his kango you know um i dug it i i, I just loved everything the the, the details about that that made you that along with the you know um lee you know the actor robert taylor actually being a b-boy oh yeah so he was one of the new york city breakers Mm -hmm. and them going up against the rock steady crew and giving them the the license to just be themselves in this movie, mm-hmm. which basically means they come on, they you know mumble a couple of lines, and then they dance. Yes, um, <laughs> there's a lot of mumbling in this movie. <laughs> uh, but but they and they and then they dance, and then what what I liked about Stan Lathan's direction is that when those numbers came up, or when the people um, you had all these different performers, Melly Mel, the Graham, and and and. Uh, 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 Grandmaster, no, yeah, it was Melly Mel and mm-hmm. the Furious Five. Yeah, um, Kumo D and the Treacherous Three. How about that? Tina B. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Africa Bambada and the Soul Sonic Force. The 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 Battle Dancers. Yeah. When all of these performances would happen, Stan Lathan got out of the way, right, and let them perform. Gave you enough. There were enough in screen, in the camera, so that you could appreciate their movements, their dancing. If you needed to be up close to appreciate their rapping, it was right there. Um, the ending scene, when the, all the breakers come out, you know, at the New Year's Eve party, and he he um, at the, then, like, pulls out all the stops, and he's got the cameras underneath the floor yeah. to look up at him. I'm like, all right, Stan, I see what you're doing, dog. Yeah. Stan working. You know, he's, yeah. he's you know, I'm, I'm saving this one for the finale. Saving this one for the finale. <laughs> Wait for the finale, Harry. I got you on finale, Harry. So I, I, I dug that. I, I liked it. There were actually some scenes where there were just talking scenes. Robert Taylor, the, the, the little brother, Lee, he actually is an effective actor. Yeah. You know, it was a shame that you don't see him pop up more often. Right. You know, after right. this, he actually, you know, was natural. You yeah, know, doing yeah. his thing. He, um, he was cool. Um, so there were scenes when he was kind of like just talking to his brother, mm-hmm. uh, Kenny. 
you know, I felt that there was actual true affection between them. They felt yeah. like brothers. Yeah. The friends felt like friends. Yeah. You know, there was no Eric LaSalle looking over over some, <laughs> you know, somebody's shoulder like jealous because he didn't get the role. Well, everybody's in their lane. Everybody's exactly. in their lane. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? Um and because of that, then you are able to also pepper this film with actors like Mary Alice. Or, you know, someone we've also shouted out here before, Lee Chamberlain. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Who don't have a lot to do in this movie, but just give it enough gravitas. Right. Bring that, know, their professionalism, their professionalism to, it. Yeah. to it that just helps tie everything together. Yeah. You know? Um, and, and, and the other thing that I, I really like about this movie is that the music is authentic as well. It's not geriatric, you know, not geriatric. I mean, um, generic hip hop. Right. This is actual true, true hip hop in a sense. There's, there could have been more break beats in this movie. Right. Um, uh, I, which is usually what the, like the, the dancers are usually dance to as right. opposed to the music that was there, but it still worked. Right. So it, it, it Overall, that didn't bother me. It didn't take me out of the film the first time I saw it. It didn't take me out of the film this time. Yeah. This time seeing it. Actually, this time seeing it, watching it, like you said, with you know more critical eyes, I was actually um, floored by how smart this movie was at times. Mm-hmm. When, you know, spoilers for a 40-year-old movie, when you get the the big death yeah. in this film, the succeeding scenes after that, smartly, no music. Yeah. All you're hearing are just the sounds of either people walking, the driving, uh, 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 the cars pulling off, you know? Um, I also liked for me that there was no scene inside of a church right and there was no scene at the burial right because you always get that right and that's frankly not the important part it's not the important part right because actually i thought more importantly was the important part was the pallbearers who you see yeah that's your brotherhood yeah and then you see the cars pulling off in the streets of the Bronx because that's where it all happened. Yeah. That, and that's where that character lived. It's also just a fairly quick moment with Lee and his mother. And his mother. mother, which is perfect. Where you realize that, you, you know, Kenny and, and what's the manager's name? Uh, Charlie. Kenny and Charlie, like they're the three amigos. Mm-hmm. They're the three musketeers. But Lee's like their communal little brother. Right. So this affects Lee too, and the film does a great job showing the relationship mm-hmm. between Ramo and Lee. Yeah. You know, where Lee is talking, oh, he's going to do our jackets and this, that, and the other, and they kind of, you know. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, and you're also reminded in that scene with, with Lee and Mary Alice that Lee is still a little boy. Yeah. 
and you're reminded of his youth at that moment. Yeah. Because not that he's, he, he didn't have any type of adversarial role with his, you know, relationship with his mother, you right. know, I, which I actually appreciated in this right. movie. You know, like mom, mom, she, the mother wasn't overbearing in any way right. in this movie. But that's who he turns to. Well, to his mom. again, and, and I, I really have to go back to it as 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 documentary evidence. It's so easy to forget. Once again, this was an outlaw culture. Yeah. Like when you read the newspapers and you read the stories, like there was so much mania mm -hmm. about. I mean, you know, you talk about throwing the throwing the lines out for electricity. Dudes got electrocuted. Fires got started in these buildings. There was a fair number of incidents with people doing graffiti. Yes. With the police, mm -hmm. with that third rail, with mm -hmm. all everything that was involved. This breakdancing culture grew out of the gangs. Yes. So that a lot of times. Which is mentioned in the movie. Which is meant like these were crews that actually did not like each other. And like, right. you know, certainly the New York City Breakers and the Rocksteady crew were two different crews. But even on the set, they kept them apart to kind of keep that yeah. same feeling mm -hmm. so that you completely understand a mother in 1985 who, again, has buried a son, mm -hmm. concerned about these two other boys mm -hmm. out in these streets. As she said, I thought we stopped dancing on the street for pennies, Yeah, which is the first thing she says to him. Something you said, which I actually had not read any critiques about a set in the winter. I think I think that it's brilliant being set in the winter because, again, it's funny. We were talking about um, Nothing Like a Man. And one of the things we said about Nothing Like a Man. Nothing but a man. Nothing but a man was was the lighting. And there's this there's this image imagery throughout the film where there are flashlights or or lights from the cars or mm -hmm. lights in, that are barely keeping the darkness at bay. Right. And by my read, Beat Street being set in the winter was saying that about hip hop. Like this culture is all that's keeping the wolves at the door for these young people. Okay. Kenny is Kenny is nothing without these records, without this music. Lee, this is, you know, his dance is kind of keeping him focused. And the film does such a wonderful job with Ramo mm -hmm. and his connection to graffiti. And he talks about, I make this, I make it beautiful and I make this art. And, 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 you know, he's, he's got a child and, you know, I love the economics. Yeah. I, I love the acknowledgement of the economics of being poor. Yes. In the Bronx in 1984, 1985, you a hip hop dude, but there's really this kind of scramble to make some money off of it. Like, you know, I love like the whole kind of thrust of, of Kenny's story is Kenny trying to get a gig yeah, at one of these clubs as a DJ so that if it's set in the summertime, it's not as dire. Right. Like right. it's actually cold outside mm -hmm. during this time. Yeah. Speaking yeah. Of, of detail, something that, that I picked up this time watching it, I love the acknowledgement for how much basically the army surplus store <laughs> p 
played in the shaping of the hip hop aesthetic like like you know Ramo has a what we would call a field jacket on yep, and yep, you, you you know yep. Kenny's backpack is clearly a you know a, a soldier's backpack yep. that he puts the records in and they're wearing these boots and and did, we had Sonny surplus in Baltimore I don't know what was y'all did, what was y'all's army surplus uh, I Goldberg oh I Goldberg but yep. so much of that look mm-hmm. that we take for granted yep because this is set in the winter, you see that there's real utility to it. Yeah. Like you yeah, wear these clothes right. because they're warm. You you know, I have this bag because I got 30,000 records in it mm-hmm. or a million cans of um, spray paint. Mm-hmm. And it's durable. Mm-hmm. And I can run with. And it's like you said, it's those details. Yeah, little things, man. And Stan Lathan's direction is such that you are able to notice it. Yes, without it, it, without it, like just right. being stand out. You know the linoleum floor. Yep. in their bedroom. Yeah, that you know it's no big. You know nobody, but but it's right there. Yeah, so yeah. that you, you know, God knows how many times I've seen this movie, but you just see the details. Yeah. that are there for you. Yeah, then you're you're absolutely you're absolutely right. Um, it, about the the snow, real quick. What I had read is that th- some people postulated why this movie was not a hit was because. It followed in the wake of Breaking. Right. Breaking being set in California and being all sunny. Yeah. This movie has a decidedly more darker and harsher tone because of the winter um, that they think people may not have been. <laughs> Plus a dude died. Well, yeah. A dude dies in Beat Street. He does. Yeah, he does. Pretty well, graphically and sadly. Yeah, yeah, and it is pretty graphic. It is, pretty you know, because it's like, whoa, it's like they're smoking. Is, yeah. is that smoke coming out? I appreciate Cochise dying, but Ramo is my Cochise. Oh, really? This is my this and Radio Rahim are my two. Oh, like these are my deaths. Wow. Like these are my two deaths. Wow. That destroy me, no matter how many times I see them. Oh, wow. see, 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 no, no. And it's probably because I, I think I was an adult almost when I saw um, Cooley High the first time. Oh, really? Like, I was like 18, 19 years old the first time I saw Cooley Isn't that weird? Yeah. Isn't that weird? So you saw Cooley High after you saw this movie then. I, and I have no idea. It's kind of like Sparkle. Like, I didn't see Sparkle until I was like 20. Wow. And I don't know how that happened. Well, I... No, I can understand that happening because, you know, it, it wasn't in the theaters. Yeah. And video still wasn't a thing. Yeah, yeah. And how often was Cooley High on TV? Right, right. I don't know if I've mentioned this. I watched a fair amount of television. Well, I understand, but it wasn't on TV. <laughs> right. Like, you know, they wasn't repeating a whole lot of Cooley High. Yeah, like, I'm pretty sure, you, you know, shout it out. It wasn't a BET then. Right, right, so right. So right, Cooley High right. was like, yeah. you know, shout out. Two, it was a 2 a.m. movie. Right, well, right. Or, <laughs> or, you know, and shout out to, to, to my brother, Clifton Durant. This is one of them runs to uh, Blockbuster mm-hmm. on our, on our like, on like one of our exploitation nights. There you go. There you go. Yeah, you go. Yeah, yeah. Cooley High, Cooley High, Cochise. Whew, that wrecks me, man. That that wrecks the hell out of me, man. Yeah. And, and and Radio Brahim is up. Yeah, there, is up there. This one doesn't. Ramo doesn't get you. R- Ramo, but here's the reason why Ramo doesn't get me, and it's the shame that Ramo doesn't get me mm-hmm. because his story 
is really the story you want to follow in this movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, quietly, John Charbet, and I may be mis- Charday, Chardier, mm-hmm. and I may be mispronouncing his name, his story, along with his girlfriend, played by Sandra Santiago, yeah, who you've who, seen yeah, everywhere. Yeah, not, yeah, real, not a real, not like that, a real actress, but right. yeah, a working actress right. after this. Yeah, their story is really the compelling one. Absolutely, you know, um, and and some would say maybe even fully fleshed because oh, no doubt, because not only does he have like this nemesis spit that he's that he's going after, um. And not only does, and he also has probably more so than anybody else in this movie, the the pie in the sky outlook of this culture at that time. He's not, he's, um, you know, like, yo, I've got to do it. Like, it, like, this is, I have to tag this train. Because now, because now my name will be known in the Bronx and in Brooklyn and Long Island and all this type of stuff. Right. You know what I mean? Like, everyone else, like, Kenny wants a gig because he knows where the gig is going to take him. Right. Lee is is young. He's dancing. Yeah, he's a kid. You know, but he sees an opportunity when girlfriend comes to him and says, hey, when you come down and dance for us, he's seeing this like, oh, my God, this is an opportunity for me. Right. You know what I mean? Um, Charlie, the manager, well, you know, he's definitely got his eyes on many prizes. Right. But Ramo can only see a train before his eyes, so much so that he's taking his eyes off his responsibility he's the one that has a family he's the one that has a situation that he is now of an age you've got to deal with and his father like when his father I think if you're a young boy watching this movie (laughs) and he has a scene with his pop you're like yo pop yeah you know he's he's supposed supposed to do his graffiti leave him alone you watching it now you're like (laughs) Yeah, bruh. Oh, take care. Did you mark the time? <laughs> yeah, <Black> nigga. <laughs> that was lit. <laughs> yeah, bruh. Oh, he's oh, a kid, bruh. man. You know what I mean? Isn't that funny? But it's real. Because I remember being like 15, 16. Like, he has dreams. He's going to do graffiti, dad. Maybe your definition of a man isn't the only definition. But you, as I watch it, I was like, hey, man, <laughs> your kid can't eat graffiti. You know what I mean? You're like, even mom. when, when Like, you your to- lady just begged you to get her out of here. And not for nothing, the whole abandoned building apartment that we've set up you know what i mean like they can play the they can play the music all day like they're playing the music and it's all romantic and i was like did he really just move his girl and his infant into an abandoned building yeah and like when the the girlfriend in there says hey and you could put the crib right next (laughs) to this right right next to the heater where is that is that a spray painted heater I ain't see no. Everybody got their coat on. I, I feel mean, like child protective services needs to be involved in this conversation. The crazy, the bad thing is, since we're here during the montage when he dies, 
One of the one of the scenes in the oh, montage yes. was his girl leaving with the baby, <laughs> and when I watched it this time, I said, "That's probably a good decision." Yeah, yeah, for, yeah. yeah. Go go back to go go back with go, your go mother. With the mom. Go That's back right. to your mother in electricity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! But 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 what I'm saying like Ramo. That's the story you want to follow. That's that's the one. That's the one that I'm really invested I know. in. Well, like while I'm wasting time with Kenny walking the, walking along with these, yeah, okay. Uh, segue into the soundtrack. Okay, you know some vintage, very vintage, vintage hip hop. Absolutely, not the best of hip hop, but it's hip hop. Right, it's right. true hip hop. All right, don't get in trouble. Don't, okay, please don't get in trouble that's talking about fine. old hip hop. But Dan Dinkins is up here like Beetlejuice. No, but no, no, you know it is what it is. Okay. Um, and I liked it. You know, I I love me some Melly Mel. Yeah. And you know, and 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 the the Christmas rap with the Treacherous Three. That's right. Dope. You know, and Young System. It's all cool. But what were these two duets that you hear? <laughs> during the quote unquote love scene. Those was that was a love duet. They was walking through New York because they was in love. I looked to see if these were artists that I knew. Look, man. I, I, I look, can't even pull together who these artists were. Look, it look, I don't think it's any surprise that the strongest, most resonant storyline is Ramos' story, which, you know, as we mentioned, the whole graffiti track. Mm-hmm is inspired and informed by this amazing documentary. It's lifted from that documentary. Yes. As opposed to... You're being to, kind when you say inspired. As opposed to, I think... I think you almost had to have... A love story. A love story in there. But but I, you're absolutely... Like, it feels completely tacked on. Yeah. Like, it had to be there. Because you have the love story with Ramo and his family. Right. And, quite honestly, I don't think you need an actual romantic connection between Kenny and... No, you don't. Like, I love the plot of them actually sort of debating the nature of cultural appropriation. And, and even... I could even have bought them talking to each other about how we create music. Right, right. You did. Uh, you didn't need them getting together. Right, and and even then, because after they get together, nothing really happens. Nothing really. Ha- he doesn't. He doesn't even show up at her big moment. I mean, I think, and the, she's fine with it. I think the film kind of like like you could see they the, the film con the film and the script kind of does its due diligence with we have these two people from different worlds mm-hmm. what would that look like like i appreciated him going to campus and he's a little overwhelmed by all of it and you know whatever's happening between her and her advisor which is amazingly unethical but it was 84 and i guess that's just how it went down in academia um it is and they both are coming at it from two. Like, clearly this was not going to work. Mm-hmm. Like, if Ramo had to die, they would have broke up in two weeks anyway. So I appreciate the film not positioning them as this great love. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's, it's clearly the weakest part of the plot. Yeah, it, 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 it's not necessary. However, because everything else in the movie is so resonant, 
and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and the tapestry of it is so authentic. Like we always say, you forgive it. Yeah. Because it, it, it's got the goods. Yeah. Now, did you know this movie was produced by Harry Belafonte? Mm-hmm. I don't know if, if your research told you that, you know, coming out of Breaking, mm-hmm. Harry Belafonte was teamed with Sidney Poitier to create a movie, a more authentic movie, mm-hmm. New York-based movie that spoke to the hip-hop culture. Yeah. And along the way of their developing of this project, Sidney Poitier kind of broke off to do his own project, which would then morphed into... Fast forward. Fast forward. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is fascinating how this these are all interlinked mm-hmm. and when you say Sidney Poitier broke off to develop his own the sense that I got certainly looking at the finished product is that Sidney Poitier was more comfortable with clearer lines of um how do I want to say this Of, of 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 basically who you, you know who was um, he he was he wanted a clearer moral universe okay okay which is what you get in fast forward right you you know again I th- I think the authenticity of Beat Street and and one of the the reasons I give credit to Harry Belafonte and the producers mm-hmm. that they kind of stuck to their guns yeah. and didn't press for changes in the script is that again, I'm going to keep saying this in 1984. If you were a practitioner of one of the, um, aspects of hip hop, Mm -hmm. you were by definition, a criminal and an outlaw. So that something like breaking where, where besides being in, um, radio Tron, all of the dancing takes place in in either private homes, mm-hmm. you, you know, where 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 ozone and 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 um oh um, about to call them Thunderbird Turbo live Turbo yeah or in like abandoned places yeah so that you don't really see them breaking the law yeah this is a film where these protagonists break the law. Mm-hmm. Literally break the law, mm-hmm. the entire film. So, I don't, I, you know, I, I get, I, I get the sense that Sidney Poitier wasn't really comfortable with that. Yeah, so do I. Which you know, hindsight being, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Hindsight is always twenty twenty. You, you know, we joke and we laugh and we've had fun with something like rap and we've had fun with with, with uh, fast forward. But nobody knew. In 1984, 1985, that this was going to be this. No one, no one's wildest dreams did they think hip hop would be what hip hop would become. True. That's so very that true. that's very true. People were making decisions in 1984, 1985, judging a model that frankly did not exist yet. Yeah, you know. 
So, so yeah, I, you know, I, I saw that, and, and you know, I try and give Sidney Poitier the benefit of the doubt because again, it was it was a fascinating time for hip hop and for. And you know the other interesting thing, and and I meant to really cross reference this, like try to figure out when like Basquiat and 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 Keith Haring and, oh, and okay. you know and even Phase Two, like mm-hmm. when they really were sort of accepted by that downtown art crowd. I think it's not long after this, but I think it's after this. Well, yeah, yeah, okay. So that yeah. the conversation in this about Ramo, like you said, all Ramo saw in front of him was the subway trains. Mm-hmm. Like there it's was a white train. Like there was no sense in this film that Ramo could have had an art career. There's no sense of it before Ramo's death, but if you listen to the very awkwardly done rap by K double uh, K at the end, right? He mentions that. Yeah, he mentions how this artwork will soon be in the galleries. Right. But, I mean, he says that, but you get the sense he's just sort of. Well, I don't know. You know, t- like I don't. I don't know if he was. He was. He was referencing. Again, I don't know. No, I don't know if he year. was referencing things that were already happening. Right. But I think he was trying to see that this would soon be appreciated. Right. You know, foretelling the in a way yeah. the future, much in a way that um uh hip hop was a depiction of our present um by way of beats of the old and a foretelling of the future as well. Um it was actually kind of really cool looking at Melly Mel and Furious Five up there. They reminded me greatly I think more so than ever of uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire up there. Like a, a piece of today, but also a, a look into tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Okay, according to this, it says Basquiat had his first real show show in 1981. Yeah. So, you know, he was he was certainly doing his thing. Excuse me if this part is um, gets staticky because I now have my iPad over the table and we've it's not touching it though right 1982 keith herring mm-hmm. was so so i guess they had but but i guess maybe they saw them as, as anomalies probably who knows you, you know who so, knows you know it yeah because it, I, 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 who knows who knows um you know i'm kind of fascinated with the graffiti aspect of hip-hop and because you know there's some people that don't want to fold hip-hop I mean, graffiti into hip hop. Like they say, graffiti should be its own thing, which is, you know, fascinating to me. Like it's all fascinating. Yeah. I don't see it, but, you know, I'm sure there's an argument to be made. Um, Just so people know, because it's out there, that the most of the graffiti that you see in this film. is not by graffiti artists. That's right. It's actually by the people on the set. That's right. You know, just. Painting, doing their thing. Yeah. You know, um, there's some. There's some, but it's not a lot. Not a lot. Yeah, most of it is set most design. Most of the big stuff is just set design. Yeah. So it's pretty good set design. Huh? Yeah, absolutely. I'll say that. Not as, when you think about it, it's not as intricate as the best graffiti of that time. Right, right. You know, so um, it, it certainly will not be confused with wild style anytime soon. Right, right, right. You know, um, but uh, this was. Um, this was a cool. This was a. It was a cool. It was a cool moment, um, and 
Much to, I'm sure, the disappointment of one, oh, where was it here? One Markham Lee. <laughs> what did Markham say? Markham said about Beach Street. I'm about 99% sure that Vince will say some variant of there was this moment or it captured this moment in the early days of hip hop. I don't think you really said that. I mean, I didn't say it directly, but I kind of. <laughs> you inferred it. I, I inferred it. But you did not use moment. I implied In it. a sentence with yes. hip hop. I implied it. So that, yes, he could. Yes. Markham also said that there's also a 75% chance <laughs> that Len will think it's terrible. Ah! <laughs> well, he would have lost that money. And I say pay up, Markham. <laughs> Because I enjoyed myself some Beat Street. Oh, it's beat. like a heartbeat. It's like a heartbeat. I love this damn Beat Street. Oh, it was really cool. I love this damn Beat Street. It was cool because I had forgotten that Dougie Fresh shows up at the end. Yeah. You know, crawling between Kumo D's yeah. legs. <laughs> so when early in the film, you see Dougie Fresh <laughs> dancing at a right, party. Right. Like, is that Dougie is Fresh? Big, Curly, Jerry Curl, yeah. Jerry Curl Afro. Right. I'm like, is that Dougie? I'm like, I'm waiting for somebody to give him the beatbox, and he's not, and he's just sitting there, and he's got the glasses up. That's Dougie. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Dougie. Um, also, did you read Kadeem Hardison was supposed to be in cut him, out of but the he film. was cut out the film? <laughs> and this is one of the very few photographic... Um, evidence that Kumo D has eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Because he, he after this would He is never filmed without his glasses. His That's sunglasses. right. That's right. And that was his thing. Um so good time good time. Yeah, oh yeah. Beat Street. Well done, Vince. Hey, all I did was pick it. Well done. Yeah. All right. Would you recommend that people see I would wholeheartedly recommend that people watch Beat Street. Oh, me too. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I mean, wholeheartedly. It's it, yeah, look, I'm going to say it's requir required viewing. Yeah. And if you've seen it a thousand times, watch it again and but I I ask you to sit down and watch it with like some young kids. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, yeah. I watch it with my 14-year-old. Yeah. And it is fascinating watching it with a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, th I think that would be an interesting, uh, spark a very interesting conversation yeah. to watch that with, with, with young young kid. I, I um, My daughter, who is not into hip-hop, to tall. Uh, but I wouldn't mind watching this with her. Yeah. You know, um, well, she's not young. She's 26. But <laughs> a babe in the woods. True. True. All right, ladies and gentlemen, before we tell you what we're going to watch next week, I invite you to all please follow the Michelle Mission on all of your social medias, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Michelle Mission. Join the Michelle Mission Facebook group uh, at Michelle Mission. Michelle is spelled M-I-C-H-E-A-U-X. Email us all of your thoughts and concerns at mission at gmail.com. Our show is available as in an edited form as a radio show every Saturday 
at 1 p.m. on WPPM 106.5 FM, Philly Cam, People Power Media here in the city of brotherly love and sisterly affection. And you can wake up with the Me Show Mission every Monday morning at 9 a.m. on 91.7 FM, WKDU, the voice of Drexel University. The Me Show Mission is a proud member of the Podglomerate Podcast Network, Podglomerate, a network of curated podcasts just for your listening pleasure. Go to thepodglomerate.com to check out all that they have to offer your ears. Next week. Next week. All right. Here's the thing. Uh oh. I had selected a movie for next week okay. well, for, to follow this um, that I felt fit right in, in line with it. Okay. Um, but a movie that, that I thought that we had reviewed, but in fact we hadn't recorded. Okay. And that was Crush Groove. Okay. Right? And I was prepared to do Crush Groove. Okay. However, however, I knew what movie I was going to select after Crush Groove. Got you. Post Crush Groove. Right? I knew what movie I was going to select after that. And that would have fell right in line with, with June, Black Music. Movie. Right. Would that have been Lethal Weapon 2? It would not be Lethal Weapon okay. 2. Just... However, we have booked a guest for not next week, for the week after. Okay. Um, who, who will I guess that you'll be glad to see returning to the Michelle mission. Uh, Toya Haynes will be returning um, to debut her, her new podcast that week as well. Uh, we'll tell you all about it. So, uh, and, and she's chosen her movie. Okay. Already. And her movie is, I'm not going to give it away yet, but I'll just say this. It's a concert film. Okay. Right. Which worked well because my movie, because when she when she was coming in, I was like, all right, great. And I've got a film that I want to do after that. Okay. That will fit in, my movie fit in after that, right? Perfectly. However, I want to do my move, this second movie so badly. Okay. That I'm doing it before we do her concert film. Okay. Because I want to do it before we do the concert, her concert film so that she will be here when we have comments about this film so that I can get her, her reaction on to. that film. Oh, boy. What film is this? And it's not Lethal Weapon 2. It's not Lethal Weapon okay. 2. And nor is it Crush Group. Okay. So it is. This is it. The Michael Jackson concert. So two concert films. Yeah. But I, I, I want to do this. Is it? You want to do this? Is it? Yes. Okay. The Michael Jackson concert film. The co- Michael Jackson concert. The, film. The, the last. I mean, this is it. <laughs> I mean, he says it in it. He says it in the documentary. Do it for the love. I've been saying do it for the love since that documentary came out. I've never seen the documentary. You've never seen, I've never seen This it. Is It. Never seen it. 
I am so looking forward to hearing what you have to say about this is it, seeing it at this point, after his death, after leaving never, after all, after everything. Right. Next week on the Michelle Mission. Interesting. This is it, Michael Jackson. Okay. All right. All right. Black Music Month. Look. <laughs> this is terrible what I'm about to say, but I'm going to just go ahead and say it and get it out the way so we say it next week. I find it, I, I shouldn't find it hilarious, but if I'm being brutally honest, I do find it hilarious. Like, when, when Surviving R. Kelly came out, mm. we all decided as a culture and a country, R. Kelly is canceled. Yes. I've not heard one R. Kelly song since Surviving R. Kelly. Okay. I don't know if I've heard an Aaliyah song. <laughs> like, the closest I've heard to an R. Kelly song on the radio is Fortunate, the song he wrote for Maxwell. Right. Sur uh, Surviving Neverland came out, and we were all, you know, justifiably upset about Michael Jackson, the accusations, and, and and I feel like for about 35 seconds, black people, white people, all people said, well, we can't listen to Michael Jackson anymore. And it lasted for all of 35 seconds. Yeah. Because then everybody said, except beat it, and Billie Jean. And human nature. Well, we're only going to listen to human nature. And then people no, well, fuck it. I'm listening to Michael Jackson. <laughs> like, collectively, the country said, fuck it, I'm listening to Michael Jackson. And that is my observation. I will keep my analysis of that observation for next week. All right. All right. All right. So that's what's coming up next week, ladies and gentlemen. Until then, he's Vince. I'm Len. In parting, we say. We'll see you when it's time to meet again. It's time to bid adieu. It's been a pleasure knowing you. I'll see you when it's time to meet again.